Hello, Sky friends, and welcome to Seasons of Skyrend, Book 4. We're a custom 5e D&D adventure that focuses on the stories of our characters as they seek to change the world, and how the world responds in turn. I am your host and DM, Scott, and you can find me on Twitter at TheScottBlake. Hi, I'm Chris, and you can find me at EwokKiller on Twitter. I play Finnegan Finn Tempest, a tiefling trainer, which is a Skyrend original class supported by the Metalweave Games supplement Baby Beastry. Finn is the trainer of Cerulius, a blue guard drake. Hi, my name is Nate. You can find me on Twitter at Skyrend underscore Nate. I play Darvin Grimm, the human monk, and I am currently hosting Cade, the demigod of the land in my brain. Hi, I'm Shannon. You can find me on Twitter at Skyrend underscore Shannon. I play Aranus Gray, the god of rebellion, and I am a half-elf bard. You can also find the show on Twitter at Skyren Podcast, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast. Head on over to find out about bonus chapters, early access, NPC creation, and more. Now then, thank you for joining us, and please enjoy this chapter in Seasons of Skyrend. The weeks aboard the Regal Splendor, Earl Earl's private hot air dirigible, have gone by smoothly enough. The temperatures outside have continued to drop as you flew further south towards Libera, but it has remained fairly comfortable so long as you remain below deck. On the upper deck, the perpetual night sky stretches out in all directions. Moonlight occasionally glints off the frozen ocean branch below. Snow and hail collects on the deck, and the wind seems to howl and moan. Everyone has been getting more comfortable aboard the airship, with the kids finding ways to have fun with the animals and on the tween deck. There may not be enough rooms for everyone on the ship, but folks have claimed certain areas as their own for the journey. Most stay on the lower deck or the tween deck, but Asturias has made herself comfortable in the hold with the animals. Though everyone takes turns preparing food in the galley, Parlin has proven to be the most skilled in that area. They have picked up a number of recipes over their years, and are happy to quietly show off for their friends. Ulwan has taken on the duty of piloting the airship due to the harsh conditions above, but he's been happy to show the basics to anyone interested. After a few weeks, Ulwan lets everyone know that Libera should be in sight by morning. Preparations for disembarking get underway. Everyone needs to pack up anything they need to have on them in the city including any money, gear, and weapons. By Ulwan's recollection, buildings in the city are not traditionally heated, and outdoor paths are paved with ice over the cobblestone. Before anyone can begin their prep, however, Finnegan and Cyril emerge from the hold below. It's clear to most that he has something on his mind. Ulwan defers to Finnegan as he approaches the rest of the group. Finnegan. As I approach... I have in my hand a simple wooden tankard carved with images of dragons in my wand hand. And in my other hand, Mm. I have the final bottle of Honey Hollow Mead. And I uh, unceremoniously pour about four fingers worth of mead into it. The tankard, that is. And I hand it first off to Arnis. And I say, Oi, you all might want to take a sip of this. 
there's something you should hear before we step into town. Okay. And I I I take a sip and then say, should should I pass it on? It's it's only right to share it. Pass it on to, to Darvin. I take a little more than a sip. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know exactly who's around, but I'm assuming everybody. Most everyone, yeah. And this is not like privileged information. So I take my tankard and I sit down on a, a crate and Cyril, who's in her harness, kind of curls up at my feet. And I say, before we step into Libera and we face Malsius, you should know as the last time I heard he had a price on my head. Did. And I let that hang for a second. And I say, there's a, a story I should share with you before we go into town. I know that you are no friends of Malsius. Um, but in traveling with me, it does heighten his desire to uh, attack us. You all know a bit of the story of where I come from. The fact that I served in the Royal Air Force. This story goes back almost 15 years. And it starts with my last day in the Air Force. You know that I flew Wyvern for the King. I am not proud of this. I thought I was doing good, that I was doing right by serving. I was doing my best to take care of the creatures that were in my charge. In addition to flying, I was in charge of the car, and I really did love them. We knew the risks, and we flew. The day that the Silver Four died was a dark day. At least it was for me. My fellow soldiers did not feel the same way. Several of them said simply, grab another one and get on with fighting. But I could not. Uh, how do you... How do you continue to fight when your, your companion, your, your friend, your ally is, lies dead at your feet? So I dropped my weapon and I walked away. I walked away from their service. I walked away from the king. And I walked away from any sort of fight that I did not fully understand or did not agree upon. That is not to say that I stopped fighting. I began to travel the nation in an attempt to right the wrong of my service. For you see... Seeing Silverfor's death, I realized that I had not been doing the good that I thought I had, and I had done quite a bit of wrong and evil in my service. So I took it upon myself to atone. I traveled much like you all have, doing my best on my own to help those who I came across. And for a time I did well, but I traveled with no goal, with no aim. And as fate or Yoru themselves would have it, one day I found myself standing outside the Temple of Yoru, in the middle of nowhere. It was as if the forest had parted, and there it was. And not knowing the proper protocol, but knowing that something had brought me there, I walked in, and I began to pray. Now, as, as a child of, of Agnitai, I had done my fair share of prayer. My, my, I prayed to a god that was not directly connected to me. And they didn't quite know what I was doing in that temple. Well, Lord knows, Agnitai knows. I stood out, the only tiefling in a temple to Yoru. And after about an hour in meditation and prayer, I was approached by the high priest of the temple. He was, as fate would have it, a silver dragon. And we got to talking. And I told him my story and about the death of Silver Four. And even he was shocked at the kismet that had brought me to that temple. You see, after I explained to him about my mastery and the, the raising and rearing of creatures, he explained that the temple was having a seriously hard time 
bringing any of their young drakes to adulthood, to maturity. And it was it had grown beyond their care. Even as dragons themselves, they could not figure it out. They had studied the ways of their people, they had studied the ways of rearing their own creatures, and there was something that they could not work their way past. And he offered me a home. And after five years serving in the Air Force and about a year wandering the roads, the idea of setting down roots for a while, it was attractive. And on that day, I agreed to help. On that day, I took a vow of poverty, service, and nonviolence. I stripped off my armor and my weapons, and I locked them in a cabinet, swearing that I will never take them up again. And well, as we all know, many adventurers who make that oath are always forced to face it again. I served nine years, and over that time I'd done many good deeds. I had managed to solve the challenges that they were facing, raising their drake population through serious work and prayer and experimentation and close supervision with their high priest. And then, of course, during that time, the withering hit. And that was hard to see the progress we had made suddenly start to slip away from us. But we had spent so much time working to solve other problems that somehow, while we had not stopped the withering, through our prayer and through, I would say, most likely Oru's help, we were able to slow it down. We were having great success. It was by no means any sort of miracle and we had not stopped it but it, it was not progressing at quite the same speed and we were thinking that we might be able to figure something out of course everyone was at that time right everyone thought they had an answer everyone thought they were doing something no one knew quite what was going on but there was someone out there who was trying to stop it all arnis and darwin you were fortunate enough not to be here during the worst of the years of the conscription when they had scouts roam in the country Searching for anyone defying Coram's law, as they put it. It was a dark day. And we had heard word that some of Malsius's scouts were coming to our temple. On that day, I broke my oath. And after nine years of non-violence and service to Yoru, I took up my wand again. And in service to that god in that temple, we fought back Malsius's men. And if I might say it was a right trouncing. They had not prepared for me and for the dozen creatures I had trained and bred to strengthen, let alone the high priest himself. Theirs was a small force, and we wiped the floor with them. It was glorious. Even with their trinkets of undeath, we were able to stop them all but one. We left one alive, injured and limping. We sent him to Malsius with a message. A message that that temple of Yoru would live on. No longer in that location, though, for we knew it was dangerous to stay there, but that the, he had forced our hand, and that our knowledge would be spread to every temple and every dragon and every drake and every dragonborn that we could reach, and that his actions had consequences. Hours after, we did just that. Everyone in that temple left in different directions. The drakes that I had left remaining, the dozen or so that fought in the battle had been whittled down a little. We were not without our losses. I sent them all off, my creatures, those that I had trained, that were befriended by me, that I had bonded with. I sent them all off to support the dragons that left the temple to go find and spread our word. All but Cyril here. I couldn't say goodbye to her. She was so precious, so much smaller than when I first met her. Oh, she was right big at that battle. She did some of her best work that day. Cyril and I wandered 
except this time we wandered with purpose, and I had a companion. We made it our goal to take down as many of Malsius's scouts as we could. We were a small pair, just the two of us, occasionally helping small towns or other groups fight off small conscription groups, and we made a name for ourselves amongst the conscription. And one day, not too long before I found you all, we were taken down a, a small scouting group, and it was the first time they all knew me. They knew my name, and as we struck down the last one, we searched their corpse, and we found on it Malsius's note of reward. He was offering more than just gold, he was offering favours from Corum and a dozen other flowery things for my head. <laughs> Morbidly, my horns was what he wanted, proof that I had been killed and my wand. And then we had heard of a group that had taken down the king, about to set out from the capital at any day, and I knew I couldn't go into the capital. If I turned my face there again, it would be problematic, to say the least. The Royal Air Force and I, we have an understanding. And so I found a place thinking I could protect this dwarf, I could help here and do good, and hope, hope that the heroes that I had heard about would come my way and I could join them. For anyone that was doing such good against the Witherin was someone that I should join and help. I will admit, selfishly, there's also the thought that if I joined a group, I would be safer and better protected should Malsius send a true force against me. And I will not lie, when we encountered that band of pirates in the skies, I, I thought for sure Malsius had finally found me and sent a, a crew to attack me. <laughs> I was fortunate that it wasn't him. So when I say you have my wand and you have Cyril's strength, know that I've come to a point in my journey where no matter what happens, I will face Malsius in this city. For I believe that just as fate delivered me to that temple of Yoru those many years ago, it has brought me here now, for I must face what I started. And one way or another, either with my death or his, this will end soon. And with that, I finish what's left in my tankard and let that hang. I only have one question. Do you want him to see you coming or not? <laughs> uh, I think with that, uh, there's a, a genuine, like, legitimate, honest laugh, like hearty laugh at that. <laughs> All right, it's, I am not one you've seen me. I'm not one to hide. When I face Mel's, yes, he will know it is I facing him. Okay. Darwin, what about you? Um, I got nothing in a special. I'm just, you know, supportive. Yeah. Okay. Who? Who am I? I I don't think any of the party members are unsupportive. There's a little shock amongst some. Fitting in, I think, as you finish that drink, and others are nodding their agreement. Asturias comes up behind you, just places a hand on your shoulder. Doesn't say anything, just gives a firm squeeze like, oh, let's go kick his ass. Cool. Cool. Um, oh, do any of the NPCs have questions about this? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Felicity does. Mm -hmm. I know she hasn't spoken up much lately, but she's had some very direct contact with these conscription forces before. But that's not where this comes from. She asks you, Finnegan. So in all your encounters with these forces of his, the conscription, did you ever keep 
any of those grim pendants. Mm, that is something I had not thought about. I have a question for just... you. <laughs> Are they like generally given out to everyone or just like no, generals? No. Okay. It's not generals. It's they're given out to just select members. Those with promise or particularly good slash brutal skills. But if there is a large group, it tends to be like the leader of the group and maybe a couple of their immediate subordinates, but not all the riffraff. Okay, perfect. I said, I, in my time hunting them, I only faced a few that carried the items. One that led the group against the temple, and that one was destroyed in the fight. And then a few as I was making my way. I will be honest, I'm not quite as much as one with a finesse as several of you are, so uh, it was not an option to uh, take it off of them, but rather we took a... Uh, let us say this. Cyril got very precise in her wax over the years <laughs> and was able to crush them or destroy them while they were wearing them the few times we encountered them. Oh my. It's a mighty whack. Yeah, I thought that was a, a fun little twist there. Okay, okay. Marillo has a question for you. Of course. <laughs> so I know you said it's not just money on your head, but how much money are we talking about? I gotta know. Someday I might have to set my own prices. <laughs> Morello is technically a kid, right? Yes, Morello was like a kid. 12. Yeah. I have Morello listed as child. I don't remember what his exact age is, but yeah, yeah oh, he's yeah. under teen. This is perfect. Oi, uh, you see, this this reward, this task was not something that was given out to the general public, if you will. Malsius is not one for traditionally hiring out assassins. This was a notation amongst the conscription, and it promised a piece of Darwin, <laughs> along with several of Malsius's blessings as they were written in the, on the paper, uh, should mm. someone bring one of my horns. If they could provide the body, it was promised a seat at the table with Mausius. Sounds very John Wick. Right. I also kind of like it. Like it insinuates that he doesn't have to pay his people in money. He pays them in, in power and growth like, within the industry. Well, like some shit. Mausius has been described as very devout and very zealous. So mm -hmm. money is only good for dealing with people outside internally yeah no mm -hmm. religion should be enough okay okay ah there's one more question this is definitely coming from me scott the dm but i uh, mm -hmm. i'm curious if any of the party members will have this question you know i think it'll be astorious since you and her have grown closer mm -hmm. she knows what it means to hunt and she knows what it means to be hunted so finn is she allowed to call you Finn, or did, would she call you oh, yeah, Finn Yeah, I think again? we've reached that point at, that, okay. at this time, like six weeks together, working as close as we have. Yeah, totally. Okay, okay. Finn, you left one of them alive back then. You know anything about them? In case they're here? Yeah. All right, I'm making this up off the top of my head. Here we go. Okay, because I, I know exactly where to slot this person in, and if you didn't have someone... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I've got c candidates. <laughs> What were the races that were unaffected by the weathering again? I know Ooh, this is like a hard them. question. I should know the answer, but I want to eh, pepper It's it not a hard question. Later. I've got it listed on a, on a separate doc that I use. There's, there's a lot. It's about half. Real quick here. Aberrations, beasts, the bullywug, celestials, elementals, 
fiends, giants, goliaths, the grung, halflings, humans, lizard folk, merfolk, plants, and shape changers. Technically also any of the children of Narluk or Rabillo. Favon, god of the sky, however, was affected. Okay, cool. Then I got it. Mm-hmm. I this this is not someone I would easily forget. You don't forget a uh, a celestial who's lost their wings often. You don't see them very often. This creature was terrifying to behold. They clearly had served Malsius for a while and were battle scarred. They were a general, clearly in charge of this group. That is why we left them alive, figuring they'd know the easiest way to get back to Malsius and report. We took their their piece of Darwin, and they walked away with their warhammer dragging behind them, bloodied and bruised. It was amazing we were able to defeat them, but our sheer numbers was what allowed us to do it. I'll give you something to work with, Scott. Mm-hmm. Um, Chris, you have no idea how closely that matches the description I already have of somebody. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> nah, you two are basically the same person, so I'm not surprised. You really are, though. Let me just go ahead and up the DC of this one character that I have. Um, okay. The Asturias nods. It's like, all right, sounds good. Is there anything else people want to do today, tonight, before we turn in for the evening and then start a fresh day with arriving at La Barra? I'm good. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yep, good. Mm-hmm. In which case, after Finnegan's story, questions are asked, answered. Kids are a little bit more distracted than usual. One, getting to a new city. But two, learning all of this cool information. Everybody goes to finish packing up their belongings. Anything that they're going to need. You can leave stuff up here on the airship. Or down on the airship, assuming you land it and don't just leave it flying in the air. You can certainly leave items on the airship, on the Regal Splendor. That's fine. But anything that you need or want to have with you, make sure you've got it on you. Got it. And folks set about to cleaning up for the evening and getting in a good night's sleep before arriving at Libera tomorrow. And before we get there, we'll end this trip with one last session of Finnegan Training Cyril. Because we need to know how everybody goes into this day. Because mm-hmm. it sounds like shit could pop off <laughs> at any minute, depending on if Finnegan gets spotted. Here's the thing, though. Does Malthus know who we are, too? Um, yeah, he does. You all remember Honey Hollow, right? Where you, like, feigned surrender and then ambushed and killed folks and mm-hmm. then left? Right, and yeah. And then... They finished destroying the city. They certainly have information on who you are. They may not be able to spot you visually, with the exception, of course, of Iskra, the ice genasi from way back by Capris. But she's on your side, so she's not going to rat you out. As far as anybody else being able to recognize you, I don't think you've had any other direct interactions with the conscription that haven't ended with you killing them. Oh, right. <laughs> right? I keep forgetting that we just like whenever we come upon conscription, we're just like murder and then <laughs> and then we take their shit. <laughs> yeah. 
Darwin's building back his leg. Yep. A little pile of pendants. Darwin, I'm I'm curious, are you leaving them in their pendant form or are you like cracking them open? For now they're staying in the pendant. Okay. Well they don't go bad. Easier to track down. Yep. Okay, okay. So yeah. Darwin and Arnis, I don't know if anybody would be able to spot you on site alone, at least not connected to the conscription in that way. Um, you all did make a big scene in the capital, and surely word of you would have carried all the way down here, especially since you took your time getting down here as well. Spending six weeks in Earl, things definitely got ahead of you. Right. Generally speaking, though, I wouldn't be too concerned about just walking around the city, with the possible exception of Finnegan. Mm-hmm. That, that was years ago. That was years ago. So people probably don't have his wanted poster in hand. But this general holds a grudge. Nice. I think we have to have that in place. So yes, before we move on into Libera, Finnegan, let's get one last training session with you and Cyril, and then... When morning comes, we'll have Darwin and Aranis uh, roll for charges. So we've got things there as well. Let's do this bookkeeping uh, real quick. So, what is Cyril's disposition? I think we still had Cyril as friendly. Because that's not like... Oh, wait, no. Is that the maximum one? I can No, remember. loyal is the maximum. Yes, looking at it right now. We haven't reached maximum yet. Okay. I think vengeance on those who have wronged her. If you manage that together, I think we could bump this up to loyal pretty safely. Nice. <laughs> okay, so we're starting DC of 10, and let's get through these modifiers real fast. Additional pet. Unless you've taken on any of the animals here in the ship without telling me, you don't have an additional pet. Nope. Okay. Disagreeable regimen. What is this regimen that you're doing with Cyril here? On the airship. So, not a ton of space. I know, and that's kind of what I've been thinking about, is what do we do in this unique situation? I think, since we're got, we've got her in the harness, it's like hiding a piece of jerky somewhere on the ship. Like, I get her to, like, stay, and then I hide a chunk of jerky somewhere for her, or a couple of small pieces for her to, like, hunt out and find. Okay. Jerky, hide, and seek. Got it. Okay. That's not disagreeable. Disliked snack? No. Favorable environment? No. I don't think being cooped up on a ship counts as a favorable environment. Favorite snack, though? Yes. So that's minus two. Gets us down to eight. Low rations? No. No. Your party members brought food on board. You've been eating well. Everybody has, including the animals. Quality time? I do think you've been spending quality time with them together here on the ship. Be hard not to. So that's minus one. Take us down to seven. Repeat regiment. Is this or is this not something that you've been doing a lot on this ship? I think this is probably like what we've been forced to do the entire time. Like we might supplement it with like hide and go seek with the kids or something. Mm-hmm. But like it's pretty much like it's hide and go seek or like us getting to spend like the whole day just like roughhousing or something in the hold or something like. Okay. There's not a lot of options right now. Yeah, I figured this one was going to trigger here. So that's plus three, which gets us right back to ten. Unfavorable environment? No, this isn't unfavorable. It's pretty comfortable. Earl Earl was not making a rustic airship. 
So it's comfortable. Temperament is timid, yes? Mm-hmm. Which is another plus one. Mm-hmm. So that puts us at 11. And then uh, I believe she's got another modifier for being dragon origin. Yes, I think that's a one plus two. It's not a negative, that's for sure. I think it. it's a one. Training modifier also increased by one. So that's 12. That's about what we average. That's one of the highest ones we've had in a while, though. All right. Hide and seek with jerky aboard the ship. What skill do you think this is? Sounds like survival, maybe? Could be That's animal handling. Okay. These are survival tricks. You know, hey, go find some food. It's somewhere on the ship. All right. Well, let's roll it. Let's see if there's a mishap. One, two, one. No mishap. We're good. Yay. This might be a repeat regiment, but... It's fun enough. There's food at the end. And the kids are chasing around Cyril. Not all the kids. Um, which kids are chasing Cyril around as she does this? Tonk and Morello. Yeah. Those two. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a close pair now. They bonded during the time in Earl. Okay. In which case, we can all get our full rest. Everybody should definitely be at full health, full spell slots, everything. Mm. And when we awake... I need Darvin and Arnis to roll for their charges. Am I correct that I'm rolling a, it's a D8 for mine and a D6 for yours? Is that correct? I believe so, yes. Oh, rolled an 8. So I have 10 divine charges. And nice. I rolled a 2 on the D6, so you have 4. No, you have 3. Three rebellious charges. Very nice. And Mr. Darvin Grimm, how many divine charges you got? Ooh, I rolled max. I got seven. Woohoo! We are winning hot. (laughs) Whoo! This is this is good. Y'all are in peak performance shape. It's been a restful trip. Finnegan's story has ah energized you. You're ready to go. You're connecting with your divine abilities very well. So when morning, so to speak, comes and everybody starts waking up, Sam and Carolina are taking care of breakfast. It's all dry, hardtack, jerky type stuff. Couple of bits of fruit, nuts. You know, this is going to be quick. We're going to eat. We're going to go. Once we arrive, no sense in leaving a bunch of dirty dishes on the airship when everybody gets off. I guess also assuming everybody gets off, but who's going to want to stay in the ship when you've got a city? Would anybody like to go to the upper deck as you approach Libera to watch as the city appears? For sure. Sounds fun. Oh, 100%. Okay. It is nippy up there. You will need to be bundled up, especially this high. The wind just cuts right across the deck. As you step onto the upper deck with Ol' Juan piloting, A small amount of snow and hail have gathered. It's easy enough just to kick aside, but the sky remains dark. The moon is not out, but several stars dot the sky. You continue to follow above the path of a frozen ocean branch. And there, in the near distance, a slight glow emerges from the snow. And Olmon points at it. That should be Libera there. And as you get closer, the city does not rise from the snow, but rather the snow descends to the city. Unlike Honey Hollow, 
completely submerged below the snow. Or Earl, a tower sticking up from the ground through the snow. Libera has chosen to carve itself out. Not entirely, but the people of Libera have carved away snow and ice directly above the major roads, the city square, and a few prominent buildings. The snow and the ice do cover large portions of it, and as Olwan explains it, there are numerous paths through and up. But the road slowly descends down into the city proper, and far below you can make out some people in the city. The light is cool, and the wind howls, and from the ocean branch below, a light shoots up. At first, it could be easily confused with an attack, but it quickly shoots high above the airship and slowly falls down, lighting up the sky, as someone has shot a flare up at you, basically. You hear a voice from below on the ocean branch. They are clearly using magic to make themselves louder. There's no way you would be able to hear them from this distance. Some quick prestidigitation. And you hear an announcement from the ocean branch below. Very official in tone. Uh, unidentified airship? Can you please land and disembark? What do y'all do? It takes me longer than it probably should to decide whether or not to be snarky. (laughs) So instead of just shouting like, who's asking? I simply ask in my best neutral tone. I don't know if they can hear me. <laughs> I just said that they were communicating by making their voice magically louder. So it's oh shit, so probably they not. I do enjoy uh, you just like shouting over the edge like, no, and there's no way they hear you. <laughs> no, that's not. I was going to ask them a question, but I'm realizing that like there's no way for them to hear me. So then so, we're shouting no. <laughs> no, I'm just going to. Um, I'm assuming that Olwan's still kind of driving this thing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just gonna tell all one. Just do what they say. Oh. Is everybody on board with that? Sure. I can't shout back and ask like on whose authority. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna land and then ask. Okay. I'm either <laughs> on board or overboard. So I don't have much choice. Right. I mean I can always right. have Darwin jump down there, but then he'll be alone. So I don't Oh that's true. That. I could be overboard. Mm-hmm. I thought that's I don't want you what to be you alone. meant. Was literally overboard. <laughs> Question then, should Olwan land this on the ocean branch where these people are, or are you going all the way down to the snow? I would go all the way down to the ground. I'm not landing on an ocean branch. Okay. So they can come down to me. <laughs> mm. Potential compromise here. Rystos is on Seth's shoulder. It is cold up here. Doesn't have a lot of like layers that he can put on. So he's on Seth's shoulder, kind of keeping warm. And he just offers a real simple compromise. What if we just kind of float next to them? Oh, that's a great idea. (laughs) You're in a direct, like, you just put it in hover mode and hang out right there. What a goddamn moron. Okay. (laughs) Me, not you. I'm an idiot. Um, Okay. So, yeah, I'll tell Rystos, oh, that's that's a great idea. Let's let's do that. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You've got that old one? Um, Yeah, he knows how to do that. Fuck, is it not prestidigitation? It might be thaumaturgy. Oh, thaumaturgy. I forget about that one. I was like, but you can it's only not do druid your own craft. Because I have it, but you can only do your own voice, I think. 
Um, yeah, thaumaturgy is what it is. All right, I feel less bad now. Your voice booms up to three times as loud as normal for a minute. But I'm not doing that. That's fine. No, that, and that makes a lot of sense, too. Thaumaturgy, sorry. This person has access to thaumaturgy. Or at least an item that gives them the effects of make your voice loud. Okay. Old one brings the airship down until you are roughly even with this group of guards on the frozen ocean branch. And the same one, voice still empowered by this magic. That's not quite the ground, but uh, you... <laughs> not quite a landing. You need help with something? Is everything all right with your ship? Oh, yeah, it's fine. I just, I, I just have a question for you, and I can't shout that loud. So I just want to know on whose authority I'm landing. Like, who's asking? By the authority of the Lodge House, the Royal House, the seat of power here in Libera. Oh. Ooh. Oh, there's a question. Don't tend to like folks just flying over the city without knowing why. Making sure that they're not up to no good. Okay. I, the player, have a question before I, the character, ask something really stupid. Yeah, sure. Malcius doesn't also, like, run the city, right? He's just, like, here. He runs the Church of Corum here. Okay. I just wanted to make sure I was understanding that much correctly. Yeah. So that when I ask my next question, it's not a stupid question. Okay. I will be blunt and remind you that the church is very powerful down here, thanks to Malcius. Right. He is a very strong personality and has lots of power at his disposal. Okay. So, I asked them, oh, hmm, Lodge House, who's, uh, who's running the city these days? Oh, well, as a few months ago, the giants have moved in. Pelgar and Felgar, I believe. Names that Darwin and Arnus would know. These are the twins that were present in the capital when you first cut that deal with the giants. Huh. Okay. You met him before? In passing. Okay. So then, think you'll be able to land your ship? Oh, is there nowhere to park it, like, in the city? I mean, There's you no, can't like, just... dirigible you parking. <laughs> you can't <laughs> just land it in the town square. I'm sorry. <laughs> Where would dirigible parking even be? Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> Just being an asshole. <laughs> Look, there's a place for wagons and things just inside once you get down the main road. You'd probably park it there. If you're on good terms with any of the guilds of the churches, and if they happen to have dirigible parking, maybe you can make a deal with them. That's not our job out here. All right. We'll, uh, we'll set her down. Make our way inside. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. All right, see that you do. <clears throat> oh, one more thing before you all leave. Your ship got a name, so we can put it in logs. <laughs> Just give it the assigned name it already has for now. What is that name again? <laughs> the Regal Splendor? Is there that right? you go. Yeah. It is the name that is emblazoned on the side of the ship. They may not be able to see it right now from this angle, but it is the name on the side until you change it. That's... All right, that's what I call it. I don't want to confuse people. Okay. So. Regal Splendor. Got it. He juts it down in a log real fast. Y'all stay out of trouble. Cool. Um, <laughs> I really want to land the thing and immediately paint over the name. 
to be an asshole. <laughs> like, just name it whatever. I don't even care. Like, name it the airship. <laughs> just be like, I don't know what the Regal Splendor is, man. <laughs> How many airships do you think have landed here in the past week? Two weeks? Uh, Ten. Zero. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> a few, but... Okay. So, we're taking the airship down, then, to land. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't, All right. Like, I don't need to get into it with the guards outside the city. Okay. One takes the regal splendor down, following the main road into the city, and carefully, deftly, touches down in between a pair of wagons, practically spooking a couple of nearby horses before their owners or caretakers get them under control. And you have landed in the Barra. Stepping out onto the street, as Olwan said, the roads are paved with ice. It is very clear ice, though. You can see through to the cobblestones beneath, a foot or two down. And this seems to be, this seems to be the norm for these roads here. Every building that's at ground level has a couple steps down to the front door to get down off the ice. And rising high, hundreds of feet above most every building, is just packed ice and snow. Originally, it was all snow, but over the years, over the decades, the city has made efforts to solidify it, so that way the ice above the city could be used for other purposes as well. Lanterns dot the path along the main roads, giving it a nice, cool light, enabling you to see for a fair distance. Folks are certainly intrigued by the airship that just landed at the city. You're getting some looks, but nobody's coming right up to you. Um, is everybody getting off? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yeah. As Olwan warned, it is cold. The wind howls down through these main roads, then through the side roads as well which you see on the smaller side streets, are just tunneled through the ice. Lots of nooks and crannies in this city. Probably lots of hidden little cubbies in the ice, up in places above buildings, off the road, who knows where. But farther down the main road, you can see the city square. It's got this huge stone fountain. Water is not currently jetting from it, because the water all down here is mostly frozen. No use putting good water to just frivolous purposes. But it's still very well kept. And beyond that is the lodge house. You can just barely see in the distance. Well, one's able to identify it as such. I don't think anybody else here knows what the lodge house looks like. The roads are a bit slick, being paved with ice and all. Some folks have those little clamps on their shoes to help add some grip. Some folks skate around or sled around. But if you stay near the edges, it's rough enough that you can walk without slipping. If you go down the middle of the road, though, it's slick. Difficult terrain, even. Unless you're wearing the proper footwear. As everybody gets off the airship, the regal splendor, and Olan's kind of pointing out, you know, oh, there's the main road, there's the fountain, there's a lodge house down there. What do you want to do? I guess the ultimate question is... How strategic do we want to be here? I think our presence in itself is a ticking time bomb. That's kind of what I was thinking, too. Like, it doesn't seem to me like there's really any point in not just kind of heading where we want to go. I agree. 
just going full badass, just like walking out in the open straight to the uh, temple of Korum. I like that. That is a balls out maneuver and I'm here for it. I mean, you know, I could put on my big fancy hat too, if you want. <laughs> but I make one suggestion and that is we send our assassin friend to see if he can't go find the one ally we know we have in town or you know you have in town. Oh, probably a good idea. Y'all want to find Iskra? Yeah. Can I send Morello to do that? I think so. He's never met her as far as I'm aware, but oh, Ice Genasi, probably pretty rare, if not unique in this city. Mm. As, you know, not a lot of Genasi on this continent. Especially not ones who also work for the Church of Corum. There is something to be said for the small strategic advantage of not going into the Temple of Corum, but choosing a secondary location and sending them an invite and having them come to us. I'm good with that too. Yep. This went from let's storm the church to I'm just I'm taking one moment to just make a slightly more strategic decision of like we don't know how much Malcius is is expecting you all or is searching for you all or is how exactly he feels about you all but we know he how he feels about me. Mm-hmm. We could just, you know, find a busy area of town and have you all blend in and me just call him out. I mean, at the best, he comes to deal with it himself. At the worst, he sends some minions and we thin the herd before we go into their home turf. It's not a bad idea either. We could, like, hide nearby if you wanted to do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I've got the... If that's the plan, and if I have this plan straight, you're going to go to a public space that sees a lot of action, a lot of people there. You're going to have... Wait, is Morello not going to go find Iskra then? This is just going to be... Yeah, no, I think that's still still going to happen. Yeah, that's still a good idea. Okay, okay. So I was skipping ahead to step two then. Step one is you send Morello out alone first. He finds Iskra, gets her to meet you somewhere. To get intel, yeah. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. That's valuable intel, surely. Okay, okay. I think Morello is pumped. He's got to sneak into a church of the death god and find a cool person, both literal and figurative, um, and bring them back out. I think he's up for that. I think he's up for that. Where do you want to go? Like we're is there one, but like a large mm-hmm. public place where we could gather. There is the town square with that big non-functioning fountain. People in carts or sleds will be cutting through frequently. But if you wanted to wait indoors somewhere, okay, yeah, you could hang out relatively undisturbed in the town square for a while. Finnegan, are you wearing like a hood or anything at all to conceal your face? I've got Cyril with me. I'm not going (laughs) to. I think we're going balls out. I think it's no hood. Cyril's not in the harness. Mm. There's no point in hiding because we're going to get spotted eventually. Let's just bring it. Okay. Okay, And I think I'm not necessarily following with the group, but like either in front of or behind the group so that the attempt to disassociate from the group, if you will. Okay. Okay. That's fine. That's fine. 
So as we're all hanging out here in the town square, Finnegan is separated from the group. At least by a round, let's just say, if we're going to put it yeah. into combat okay. perspective. Okay. Um, if Morello is going to go do this, I need someone to make a roll for Morello. I will roll for Morello as a former member of the, uh, of the Assassin's Guild. Okay. Since Morello is going at this alone, he is only getting his own bond bonus, which is a plus three at the moment. That is a dirty 20. That was a good Ooh. roll. Ooh, that's very good. That's very good. I was, gonna, I was worried I was going to do something mean to Morello. Morello takes to this new city, this new location, like a duck to water. He d- disappears down a side road, and he's gone. The time passes. You're out here in the town square for an hour. Two hours. Three hours. Four hours. To the point where some of your party members, Tonk in particular, begin to get a little worried about Morello. I guess real quick question. Are you sending your other party members away at all? Are they hanging out with you all? Oh, I think we make it clear that this is going to get violent. And if you don't want to be part of the violence and to put your life on the line, you should not be joining this adventure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, is everybody in agreement with that? Yes. Yep. Well, in that case, I think as you're waiting, members of your party begin to peel off. Parlin first. This is cold. They've got warm weather clothes, of course, but this is cold and they need to get somewhere indoors. It's a little warmer, at least out of the wind. But more joy over time. Tonk holds out the longest, waiting for his friend to come back. And it's and it's about the four and a half hour mark that Morello just appears next to Darwin and Arnis. He has gotten very good at sneaking around. And Tonk is thrilled to see his friend returned and safe gives him a quick hug morello kind of eh, tries to tough guy a little bit but it's in good humor and he turns to you darvin and arnis oh man all right i found her she should be here soon she didn't want us to be seen leaving together and it sounds like i'm the sneakier of the two of us if i gotta be honest so I came back ahead, but she should be here in just a little bit. Is there anything else I can do? Anybody I need to go stab? I got nice. in there real easy. I can do it. It's not a stabbing problem yet. Okay. Yeah, I'm not standing there, or I would be like, yeah, find a place to hide, kid. We're going to need him. <laughs> need him? As in, like, I thought you were sending your party members away. I, well, I mean, if the kid's willing to fight, I would not, you know, Finnegan's not going to say no to whatever tactical advantage we could get at this point. Mm-hmm. But I'm not standing there. But Darwin or Arnis, who are present with Morello, do you want to send him away or do you want him to hide out in the shadows? Aren't we like straight up David Crocketing it, drawing a line in the sand? I don't know. That might change once Iskra gets here and gives you some, some intel. Sweet, sweet intel. I, I don't know. I feel, okay, here's my problem. I'm pretty sure that Morello would be extremely useful in this situation, 
But then there's part of me that's like, I really should be a responsible adult and not let him do this. Eh, if he wants to help, let him. If you don't, don't make him. But he's really interested in something having, in something being a stabbing problem and that kind of... Mm -hmm. He did the cool intel thing and now he wants to do the thing that he's used to doing. Right, the stabbing thing. I feel like I should let him. All right. He turns to talk and he just says, we'll be back when this is all done. Don't worry about it. You can just go hang out with everybody else. I'm going to get one of those pendants for you. I promise. He says in a joking manner. God, that's so cute. <laughs> and Tonk will hurry away. He's going to go join the rest of your party. They, they've found an inn or a pub or a diner or something, you know. They're getting some warm drink and warm food. Uh, they haven't quite found like a place to stay for the night yet, but they're out of sight. They're comfortable enough. Okay. And Marillo just like, hell yeah. And he disappears real quick through the crowd and into the shadows somewhere. And it's not too much long afterwards that Iskra approaches. Hopefully you all remember her, at least Darwin and Aranis. This is the Ice Genasi that you met so long ago, back outside of Cabris. She was working with Ingrid, the Fire Genasi, at the time, and they were transporting prisoners at the time. Iskra is responsible for Felicity losing an arm. But thanks to Ilana and Darvin, she had a change of mind, let's just say. Came around to thinking that Darvin represents a truer version of Coram's laws and rules than Malcius and the conscription in particular. And upon seeing the pair of you, at first she's excited. And then she's worried. You see both of those on her faces real fast. Oh, hey, my friends. Like, I don't know friends, but, you know, allies, people that I know, people I can trust. And then just like, oh, shit, what are they doing here? And she approaches like, Darwin, when, when that kid appeared, I wasn't sure to believe him or not. What are you doing down here? It's a long story. I'll bet. Do we have time for it? I don't have to be back at the church for a bit, so if I need more information, just let me know. But otherwise, what can I do to help you? Strangely, actually, uh, we need information. Okay. Morello kind of mentioned that. I'm just not sure what you need. Is this information going to get me in trouble? She's not necessarily worried about it, but she needs to know if, like, okay, I'm taking on more risk here. I mean... Only if somebody finds out that it was you that told us. Okay. What do you need? Steals yourself for the worst. I mean, we really just need to know, like, what the people and forces look like inside the Quorum Monastery. <laughs> that... <laughs> that is a tricky one, unfortunately. There's been a divide since Malcius summoned the conscription back here. I was already back here when they started arriving. And at first, no problems. People getting called back. It happens. But not everyone took kindly to that. 
Malzius still controls the church and presumably still has many who are devout to him and to Corm's teachings. And if he's the only one you're after, you might have some unpleasant allies on your side. But there are a group within the church, and she looks at Darwin, who've been experimenting with a new path, a new way. Darwin clearly implying, like, a new monk way. Like, you're the way of long death. The way of the open palm. There's all these different paths, ways, that monks train. She's indicating they're experimenting with something new. I do not have all the information on them. I don't want to get that close to them, to be honest. I don't know how ingrained they are in the church. I don't know how many there are for certain. I can only assume that it's not enough to act yet. But I do know that they want to move soon. I can't give you much besides a few names and what they're calling themselves. I haven't heard it spoken, but I've seen it on scraps of paper here and there. Probably notes that people have misplaced. <sighs> or maybe I've just gone digging a little too deep. They call themselves the Way of Obligate Mortality. Malcius may be zealous in his beliefs, but he is still devout to Corum. These people, these people seem devoted to the goal of the conscription and don't like that they've been recalled. And they're looking for a way to grow and expand that, if I had to guess. So if you're worried about the forces inside the church, well, it's not just a single force. And with that, we'll bring this chapter to a close. But the story will always continue. Thanks again to all of our Patreon patrons for your support. If you'd like to become a patron, go to patreon.com slash skyrenpodcast and pick out a level that's right for you. Before we go, I'd like to give special thanks to everyone at the $5 and up tiers. At the $5 city council level, thank you, Shannon DeMello. At the $10 mayor level, thank you, Christopher DeMello. At the $15 governor level, thank you, Phoenix Bryan and Sierra Jones. Thank you for listening to this chapter in Seasons of Skyrend. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find us. If you want to chat, we're on Twitter at Skyrend Podcast. You can join our Discord server, or you can email us at skyrendpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us online at skyrendpodcast.com. As always, thanks to Daryl Barnes for creating our theme music. You can find them on Twitter at Daryl Barnes underscore. We also want to thank the talented at Gabby underscore Desu on Twitter for our fantastic podcast art. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time on Seasons of Skyrend.